So there's there there are two possibilities going on here. One, you're you're bringing up a term that I have never heard before. The the other possibility is that this is a term I've heard before, but it involves a language that uses pronunciation that's different from Latinate, and so you have no idea how to say it properly. An intensely 80s post-apocalyptic schlock film. Oh, and schlong film. You know, it's been over 20 years, but spoilers. Oh, okay. So so the resident Catholic thinking about that, we're going for low Earth orbit. There is no rational here. Blame it on me after. And you know I will. I mean, it is two o'clock in the fucking morning where I am. <laughs> I don't think you can get very much more homosexual panic than that. No, which I don't know if that's better. I mean, you guys are Catholics. You tell me. I'm just kind of excited that like you and producer George will have something to talk about that basically just means that I can show up and get fed. to the real world. My name is Ed Blaylock. I'm a world history and English teacher here in Northern California. And uh, this podcast has ruined me uh, for being able to watch anything uh, without immediately thinking about the socio-political ramifications of what's going on on the screen. Uh, my son is now five years old, and uh, he is a very big fan of Disney's uh, cartoon series, The Lion Guard. Oh, yeah. Which, uh, if for anybody not familiar with it, is uh, kind of a follow-on uh, to The Lion King uh, and the direct-to-DVD, direct-to-video sequels uh, to that. And the main character is Kion, uh, who is the son, the younger sibling of the two children mm-hmm. of uh, Simba, who in the TV series is voiced by Rob Lowe. I find just kind of interesting. Yeah, it's a little weird. But um, anyway, my, my son is a huge big fan of this show. And I can't watch it with him without immediately thinking about the political <laughs> the, the political ramifications of like, so what you're saying here is this is a monarchy. And he's, he's a member of the Praetorian Guard of this monarchy, which, by the way, is full of child soldiers. Mm-hmm. They're they're in they're Africa. Youngins. So it's in it's Africa. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, yeah, I, I didn't even want to go down that particular road. But yeah. Mm-hmm. And and every episode is um, about some kind of justification for why the hyenas who exist outside mm-hmm. of the society literally marginalized uh, literally marginalized mm-hmm. um have to be have to be uh uh kept under control because they don't follow the dominant religion mm-hmm. uh, of the pride lands which is a belief in this belief in and adherence to the practices of the circle of life 
Um, you know, I think it's interesting that we never actually see uh, the lions actually exacting their taxation on the people they rule over, uh, the animals they rule over. And the animals all agree with uh, the tenets of the circle of life, which involved them being killed and eaten by their own ruling class. <laughs> and one of the first... Like, one of the first couple episodes, the sister is hunting a gazelle. Like they yeah. straight up say, "We're hunting yeah. members of our kingdom." So. Yeah, yeah, our subjects. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah, and and like you know, before we started this project, I I could have sat down with my son, and I could have watched this, and and not had these thoughts intrude. Mm. And now I can't do that anymore. <laughs> and my wife has to listen to me at dinner going like, no, seriously, it's like fucking royalist propaganda. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> what the hell, man? Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I've had going on in the last, I don't know, few days. How about oh. you? Well, I'm Damien Harmony. I am a U.S. history teacher up here in Northern California. Uh, I've kind of done the same as far as cartoons that my son watches. My son still loves a lot of cartoons. It takes after his dad. Um, and for instance, he does watch Lion Guard, and I've brought up similar yeah. things. I tend to stay to the the interpersonal stuff um, yeah. with them. Like, oh, wow, he really didn't respect her, no. Um, just to <laughs> kind of drive those ideas home of like, that's yeah. shitty. Yeah. Um, and we will watch... Uh, you know, he, you know how he he writes a lot of fanfic now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll watch uh, Thomas and Friends or something like that. And I always tell him about how much. You know, I always ask him like, "Wait, isn't that Sir Topham Hat?" And he's like, "Yeah, yeah." Didn't he lock someone up for trying to start a union? He's like, <laughs> "Oh yeah." I said, "So are we ever going to see them run him over until his legs fall off? Like, wh when is this gonna?" And I just start. Have you, you gotten know, the tattoo yet? Union right, thug. union <laughs> thug across my belly. Um, in old script. But like yeah. I keep pushing that like the trains need to take over on Sodor and they they yeah. absolutely need to to destroy Topham Hat um and maim him horribly. And make make him make him an example exactly. to the rest of the bourgeoisie. Yeah, yeah. you tell yeah. Birdie to go tell everyone else, you know. Nice. Um you yeah. know, carry his head on Birdie's. Um and William gets a big kick out of that, uh quite quite a fair amount. Um don't even get me started on Paw Patrol and the copaganda that that is. Oh, uh. man. So here's here's my theory. Uh, sure. Paw Patrol is a Marvel Universe AU where uh, Tony Stark gets orphaned mm. uh, as a as a youngster. Yeah. And uh, goes into uh, biological sciences as much as engineering. OK. Yeah, I can and see that. and those are all uplifted uh, dogs. Yeah. That he that he's experimenting with. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, um, yeah. while we're having this conversation, um, I know uh generally it's it's good advice to steer way clear of Reddit, but there's a really entertaining uh subreddit uh called Daniel Tiger Conspiracy. Mm -hmm. That's that's all about these kind of head cannons sure. and and this kind of this kind of analysis and and you know, epileptic tree waving kind of kind of stuff. So Okay. Yeah. So what's going on with me is I have a question for uh, you and our guest. By the way, everybody, oh. welcome back, uh, Mr. Keith Lowell Jensen. Um, I, I was wondering if I was just going to do a fly on the wall for this one. For most uh, of it, but, you know, but yeah. my question here is, is going to involve both of you. Do either of you 
own a pair of slippers that you wear fairly re regularly? Not anymore. Okay. Keith, how about you? Not that I wear regularly. I love the idea of slippers, but I've never okay. found a pair that were comfortable. So I have a pair of slippers that I use uh, around the house because uh, sometimes I get kind of deep cracks in the back of my heel, almost up to yeah. the bone. Um, my son has taken to hiding them <laughs> a lot, like <laughs> every night that, okay. he's, that he's here. Because, you know, my kids have uh, split custody, so yeah. they go to their mom's. So very often he will hide my slippers before we leave for school on the day that they transfer back over to their mom's. And I'll spend two days looking for the goddamn things. Um, this week, I found my slippers. One of them was in his sink, and the other one was in my sink that I never use. And so I could have really used my slippers for like the first day. And so I just texted him. I'm like, I need my slippers. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> Uh, to which he did not respond because he uh, he he doesn't really wear his watch or anything that his mom mm, got. Mm. So I'm just kind of stuck slipperless until he comes home. I went to put them to bed um, before this recording, and uh, he I see him looking down the stairs at me, and he starts laughing, and I'm like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh, nothing. Just just thinking of something." And uh... then I look at right next to my feet on the stairs are my slippers, and I'm like. Get going, move it, you know, get up to bed. So I made sure I put on my slippers so that he could not hide them. When I was putting him, I was putting him to bed, he took my shirt off me like we were gonna have a hockey fight instead. I'm like, what? Okay. So have children, they said. Um it'll be fun, they said. Yeah. So anyway, no that's... one ever said that to me. People encouraged you guys to reproduce. I was, yeah, yeah, I yeah, encouraged. yeah. They did. Yeah, I, they did. I had one person uh, wish that my children were as I was as a child, and wish that upon me as though it were a curse. Um, to I which I said, "Thanks, mom." Yeah, so, yeah. I was I was gonna say that yeah. that that yeah. sounds like a, a family trauma thing there. Yeah. I have so. three older brothers and they had so many children. I never got the like parents leaning on me for grandkids thing. Oh, they probably couldn't afford Christmas presents. So they were like, I, yeah, I'm glad if you anything, I think that my dad like lived voyeuristically through me. He was like, yeah, go be in a band. <laughs> go to comedy. <laughs> this is great. That's okay, awesome. The other one, you go do some fun stuff. <laughs> nice. So um, tonight we're we were going to talk to you uh, about you. You've written another book, um, but also you are a, um, with the exception of some cities, fairly uh, fairly successful comedian. Um, and so, with the exception of some cities, well, I just heard that you are banned in some cities. So, I, uh... I'm, I'm not banned in any cities. Oh, there okay. Is, there is a city whose comedy scene for the most part, doesn't like me. Like, oh. it's so interesting to be collectively disliked by a comic And scene. I get splashed from that, by the way. I get splash damage from that because... But I don't feud with them. I, I ignore them, and they've yeah. managed to keep fighting with me for years without me participating, which is the most flattering thing in the world. Sure. <laughs> Unless you're me, in which case I'm like, why am I getting secondary damage from a feud that I'm not a part of <laughs> Because I'm friends with a person, 
And then like all sorts of things get associated to me, like attitudes get associated. I've, I've literally been threatened by a person. It's like, I wish you would say that to my face. I would punch you so hard. And I'm like, then why would I say it to your face? <laughs> like, it's not even anything I think. Like, what the fuck? Right. I remember arguing with a guy on the other side of an iron fence. And he said, you want to come over the fence and say that? I was like, no. Oh. I'm I'm over here and yeah. saying this because I'm smarter than you are. Right. That's like, literally the reason I'm being so mouthy. There's no right. <laughs> Did he take offense? <laughs> hey. hey. We got through the last one with like the last podcast with I think a single pun. Oh no, you just didn't thing. notice the other ones. Yeah, they 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 were there. Um <laughs> you take if you tell were. a joke and no one gets it, did it oh. fall in the forest at all? Yeah, it hit a mime. Yeah. So yeah. So it's it's like uh uh in Cambodia um in the nineteen eighties. There's a mime field. Oh, oh man. We'll take that. Yeah, acknowledge the pun and that only feeds it. Right. So is that staring. is that what I'm doing wrong? <laughs> is that is is that my point of failure? You just have to pretend it went over. Our head. Yeah, just right. just or that we yeah. Because yeah, I'm not, not prone even... to explaining things after that. That to me makes the joke even funnier. Is when I have to explain it to an audience. Yeah. So anyway, you're more successful than I am as a comedian, and we I think we should show talk about that. It's funny because, I, which I was never on, and we no no I mean even before that we oh, did okay. that. We did a, a sketch comedy although, show where although after when, we would perform a skit, mm-hmm. come out and explain it to the audience. Boy, like, it now was the, the podcast yeah. I was referencing, one of the reasons I was never on this podcast, Ed, was because Keith kept telling me, you don't have any short jokes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this is true. We, we would play uh, a short yeah. clip. Of right. the it wasn't that you didn't have the jokes. It's that you didn't have any short, short enough jokes recorded right in front of an audience right because we mm-hmm. would play the clip and hopefully it was a clip that represented you well so you'd want it to be in front of a good audience and then we would talk about it we would take it apart and right get real you know inside baseball on, on what made it funny and what made it work yeah yeah how it developed i actually thought it was a great idea for a podcast and hoped it would have been fabulously successful um but it never quite uh grew legs See, that's oh, a shame. Well, and it, you, I don't know what your expectations were for success. For mine, um, it's that we just keep going regardless yeah. of um, whether or not we have 10 or 12 listeners. I whether Waddington, yeah, whether we have legs or not, we just keep crawling, right? <laughs> like, like slugs. Waddington, yeah. how the hell do you say her name? Who Waddington. Yeah. From Tennessee and uh, Game of Thrones. Hannah Waddingham. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just call her Hannah Jensen. There you go. That's fair. (laughs) Hannah Lowell Jensen. There you go. So, Keith, uh, what do you want to start with? Uh, Comedy or or this book that you wrote, which is entirely serious because it's got nothing but mugshots. Well, we can combine them because my latest special... Mm. happens to be called what i was arrested for wow which is also the nice book and to All work right. them simultaneously was really interesting 
uh there's a part where i'm in a in a protest and a cop beats the shit out of me and in the stage version i mentioned that the cop beat me up really just he beat me up that's Mm -hmm. and then i go yeah it got real dark didn't it and then i move on Mm -hmm. because you can't graphically describe a cop beating the crap out of you um in a stand-up show i mean you probably can someone prior could probably pull it off but i didn't feel i could if you want the gory details hit the book okay book i really talk about what it was like to have a cop with his hands around your throat look you in the eye and say i'm going to kill you and you believe him yeah so it was yeah, uh, well thick and horrible and so and then they stationed that cop uh this is going to sound like conspiracy theory craziness but i swear i lived on 24th and capital and i would walk to work i worked in the coffee shop that was inside the co-op at the time mm-hmm. and i would walk to work every day up 24th street and two blocks up from my house where there had never been a cop before that cop was there on his chp motorcycle every morning as i walked past him and he would say good morning to me i'm like this isn't intimidation i don't know what is wow yeah what the f- fuck well we were considering suing and i had mm-hmm. a lawyer that was working with me and <clears throat> pro bono and yeah so i mean i'm I'm just going to throw the question out do we know that he was assigned to be there and it wasn't just that he was oh. deciding to hang out yeah like no idea yeah yeah his uh higher-ups may have had no idea where he was but with things that we've seen recently it also wouldn't be wouldn't surprise me at all if they didn't know where he was yeah. right he was like you know nah, i'm gonna go put some fear into that kid and they were like you do it you know? yeah yeah because we've seen enough where whole departments are just awful yeah i mean there, there's an anti-gang task force uh that did a report on la county police officers who are in police mm-hmm. gigs yeah, yeah. With tattoos, regalia, and everything. Like, it's yeah, right. was that LAPD or LA Sheriff? I mean, not that it makes the whole. It was the whole metro act- area. Okay. You had oh, a bunch, shit. but okay. there were several. The sheriffs were very well represented by this, um, but there were yeah. also LA Metro. Was that Ice T yeah. told us this? Ice T told us this on his album OG way back in the eighties. Yeah, believe him. <laughs> they were the biggest gang out there. Yeah, well. When you look at the history of policing in the United States, it becomes pretty clear that, uh, yeah. yeah. So, Keith, what were you arrested for? Um, a bunch of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but I, I start both the book and the stage show with telling you about a few times I wasn't arrested okay. because I don't want to leave anybody out, okay. you know, <laughs> I want this to be inclusive so people that have never been arrested can find something for them in here too i have only (laughs) been detained i have never been arrested okay so i was not arrested for stealing marshmallows at bel-air okay i got away with that one they just called my mom okay uh and i was uh i was not arrested for drinking a beer when i was underage at andy's house where he was freaking out on lsd and getting in a fight with his downstairs neighbor and the cops got called (laughs) okay and uh but then i was finally arrested uh the first time i was ever arrested was super consensual i was protesting a war and we did a die-in cops were like okay we're gonna arrest you if you don't clear out by this time 
Uh, so if you don't want to be rested, get up. <laughs> you know? And then when that time came, they would come up to each of us individually and say, we're going to arrest you now. And you could actually go, actually, I'll, I'll leave. Like oh. they really did give you a choice. Did yeah. a fair amount of people leave? Um, no. Oh. Uh, but they offered. left when they first said, we're going to start arrests at this time, you know, in like 15 minutes or whatever. A few people were like, oh, I got to work tomorrow. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. A so, valid thing. I'm sorry. We live in a system where you have to work where you will starve. Yeah. Yeah. I worked at a place called StateNet and a woman named Diana Hess, or is it pronounced Hessa, like the uh, author. Um, but she was uh, this lovely old hippie. And I make tons of references to old hippies in here. Sorry, old hippies. But that's what we thought of now as, as young punks. <laughs> and she was part of the original, you know, anti-war uh, movement in the 60s. Not the original, but the one, <laughs> the old school one to us in the 60s. And she told me, I will cover for you here. You represent me there. <laughs> She's like, okay. go protest and I will keep your job safe and, and make sure that you're taken care of. So very cool. Um, what a sweetheart. Yeah, I love her. Um, so yeah, so and and the arrest was so different. They didn't fingerprint us, they didn't book us, they they did put us all in cells, but you know, I was in a cell with priests and uh in the next cell, they they just separated us by men and women in two big cells that are okay. inside the like state department. They have like their own little holding cells area, I guess, for just this sort of thing. Um okay. so it... grandmothers for peace and their oh wow wonderful combination of punks and hippies and <laughs> so it was just catch and release uh, it was and the, the, <laughs> the guy that came to let us go reminded me of Patton making the speech in front of the big american flag <laughs> was that george c scott yeah, yeah it was yeah uh he comes out and he stands facing both cells and he's in this like you know with his feet apart and he says, uh, it would not be appropriate for me to express my political beliefs while in this uniform, but I think that I can tell you that I am proud of you as Americans who are willing to uh, stand up for their own beliefs. And then, <laughs> just it's like, all right, uh, we were all high-fiving him on our way by and stuff. Sure. Really not anything I expected from a cop. It was wild. Now, was, wow. was, that, was that for the first Gulf War? Yes. I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, a war that my father believed in. And I remember mm. my dad being one of the, the coolest people I debated about it, uh, debated with it, uh, with, with about it. Wow. Words. Mm. The coolest uh, person with whom you had a debate about said you. war. Yeah. yeah, Because he was like, I clarified it. oh, I think we need to do it, but I'm disgusted that we're cheering it on like it's a fucking football game. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And he told that to his friends, too, who were being mm. real raw, raw about it. He's like, you realize this is like people dying, including people that aren't involved. And like, this right. isn't fun. You may think it's right. And I think it's right. It doesn't mean it's fun. And, and the difference being my father had been to war. Mm. And my dad always told me that in looking at politicians as well. He said the most dangerous ones are the ones that haven't been to war. Uh, you know, and Bush and all the hawks that surrounded him, they weren't veterans no wait uh which war are we talking about uh <laughs> isn't it funny that <laughs> bush yeah. and his gang yeah. <laughs> and yeah. no, same gang same, yeah. same gang but like the first bush was a war veteran yeah uh, who and, hit and the silk you're right and yeah. and was also very reluctant and, mm -hmm. and 
also pulled out quickly afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't yeah. get us. Also oh, bombed the shit out of the highway where there were a lot of people. Like Yeah, you know, highway it shock and awe. Yeah. Maybe you yeah. could have called it Blitzkrieg. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Less meth it, involved. It's a tactic. <laughs> so okay, yeah. so you you consensually were arrested. Yeah. And then the next time I was arrested was also a protest. It was a gay rights protest. Mm-hmm. It was less consensual. <laughs> I sort sounded of, like it. Have, have you guys seen the movie Sid and Nancy with uh, Gary Oldman? I have not. There's a, one, there's a wonderful scene where the cops are busting some party or something, and there's chaos and people running everywhere. And Sid and Nancy are just walking really slow. They're high, and they walk right through it all. Because when you are just moving slow through chaos, you get missed. And so the hippies had taught me during the war protests to protest a certain way. To keep your hands down, keep your feet low to the ground, walk slowly. All these things that won't excuse the cops beating you up. Well, I did that in the gay rights protest. But all around me are people that are swinging like batons. And there's people sure. still with boas. It was a party of a protest. And there I am doing my little peaceful protest thing. And I end up on the wrong side of a line of riot cops with shields. They've got the protesters in front of them. And I turn around and I realize that I've walked right through them as they were forming their line. And I'm literally behind them now. You've Charlie and Chaplin I knew it. That that place to, I did. You, mar- yeah. you modern <laughs> times did. You're like, oh, I've got this flag. You, you've forgotten this flag. <laughs> right. <laughs> Wait. Um, that's, that's literally a nightmare. Like... <laughs> Well, like I people see have done that as a joke. Rolling, this cop comes rolling down the, the freeway because we were marching up onto the freeway, which I can also tell you why that, that has become such a thing. But the, the cop comes rolling down the off ramp at me and he says, get off of the freeway now. And I say, yes. And I turn and I start walking away from him and he says, run. And I'm like, no, because that's yeah. use that as an excuse. And he shoves me. And so then I start running and he tackles me and beats the shit out of me. And another cop, a female cop, came over and pulled him off of me. So I don't know when he would have stopped. And I was covered in so so he was sorry, go ahead. I I desperately want those mug shots. I mean, I had like long hair that was like stuck to my face with blood. I mean, they would be the best mug shots. And I've gotten mug shots. These are real mug shots on the book cover, but I haven't managed to get those ones. (laughs) If anyone's good at that kind of thing, help me out. It's your own mugshot. How do you, know. how are you not able, what the hell? Maybe they were conveniently lost because mm. I was looking at having a case against the, the cops. I mean, it, it sounds pretty clear to me from that whole description that he was looking for an excuse to beat the shit out of somebody. And then in his report, mm-hmm. uh, he said that there were bottles being thrown at him and fireworks and all the stuff that was verifiably false. The, the, right lawyer that got my charges dismissed was looking at what he said in his report and going this is insane like he's not even lying well he's right there were all the newspapers were there you don't have to lie well though that's the thing uh he he could have lied better i might not not most of my charges dropped or reduced if he had lied a little better (laughs) so he, he did okay he kept his job but so tell me about the freeway thing. Like, why, why, why is that a thing? You said during the uh, thing. This is from my perspective. This, sure. During the Persian Gulf War, mm-hmm. 
uh, we would march and and the point of a protest is to disrupt right and the cops would throw a parade permit at us and then they would literally block streets for us Mm -hmm. and they'd you know go out and block the cars and then we'd march through the intersection they'd let the cars go again and they're blocking the next intersection right and it was brilliant i i remember thinking at the time the cops sure have learned a lot since the 60s you know, here we are now in the 90s, and the cops right. are uh, taking the teeth out of our protest. Right. And, but, so we pushed it further. We're like, okay, well, let's, they're not going to give us a parade permit to go block the freeway. And so I remember the first time someone said we head to the freeway and uh-huh. thinking, oh, wow. <laughs> and we did. We shut down this whole, you know, like five lane freeway or however big the, uh, 80 is there going through Sacramento Mm -hmm. and we're blocking the freeway. And I remember a a cop walks up to me and he says, are you in charge? (laughs) I said, no, like no one's in charge. And he says, there is a sick kid in that car and we would like to get him through. And so I'm not in charge, but I'm loud. Sure. You know? And so I start yelling, there's a sick kid in this car. Let's get this car through. And it was people part of the next car through tries to squeeze through and people blocked him. And I remember the guy getting all angry and honking. <laughs> and then as this car with the sick kid gets through, the cop walks over to me and goes, yeah, you're in charge and takes a picture of my face. <laughs> I was like, Damn it. wow. <laughs> so, so, so anything. you, you unintentionally, I am Spartacus. I did. Yeah. yeah. Without, without realizing they were looking for Spartacus, you said yeah. you were Spartacus. Yeah. And they know um, true Spartacus you. But we held the freeway for a little bit, and then we marched back off the freeway. You okay. Know? And so then I watched that become a more and more common tactic that, you know, uh, again, it's a bigger disruption. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, I it, I remember being in a uh, ride down to a mic down in Santa Cruz, uh, and it was after, uh, so God dang, it, that was a while back. And there was a comedian in there who was like, I, you know, he's like, I think they lost my sympathy by blocking the the freeway. Like it, it made it. it Always you know, baffles me. Yeah. And I'm like, they're not here for your sympathy, bro. Like you had that chance. <laughs> you right. had that chance. Now they have to block the freeway. They want your awareness, you know, and, mm-hmm. and his whole thing was like, you know, I think they would get more, you know, it's, it's one of those, they would get more flies with honey kind of thing. And I'm like, that's, that's not how. They had a guy, they had a guy, a great leader who really preached that approach and they right. shot him in the fucking head. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And people, people gave it a try. I'm not saying it was a, the best approach, but they were like, yeah, let's fucking give this a try. And and he was a student of Gandhi's. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gandhi blocked trains and shut things down. And, you mm-hmm. know, yep. also look how quickly comparatively India got their independence. Uh, yeah. The, the civil rights movement here had a much, much longer and uh, much less progress. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Okay. And, and that guy, that guy, Martin Luther King Jr., who they love to quote when they're trying to insult rioters. Yeah, throwing it back in their faces. He himself 
said uh, no that's yeah. this is the the what did he call it the riots are the language of the unheard or a uh, riot a riot is the language of the unheard yeah yeah he's like no i get it <laughs> yeah and and you know they they conveniently choose to uh forget air quotes around forget uh that um he he wound up parting ways with the with snick uh and and basically said the anti-war movement and the civil rights movement have to split off uh from one another yeah and his he he basically dedicated to right before his assassination uh he had come to the conclusion that what a, a big part of the civil rights movement had to be anti-poverty yeah uh, anti-capitalist right stuff and, and thereby they, anti-war yeah and thereby anti-war and like you never hear any any of those folks are like well you know martin right. luther king would have stood that actually he might have <laughs> and here's here's chapter and verse of where he did <laughs> where um, he actually you did. just have a dream uh yeah. but he yeah. had a lot more speeches so yeah no my favorite part about that is also they tend to forget that at the time of his death he was literally the most hated man in america yes by mm -hmm. all polls it's like yeah you don't get to quote him if you hated him it's not how that yeah. works so all right, so back to uh, yourself. Um, yeah. A, oh, a my favorite subject. White fifty-one-year-old male writing a book about being arrested. Um, writing it in the middle of the George Floyd protests, wow. and uh, one of the first things that I address in it is like I, I don't want it to be crimeing while white, you know. Okay. Um, so right away I'm just like, yeah, th these are the stories that I have to tell but I, I will tell them knowing that they're from this perspective. The fact but, that you're alive to tell them is... Absolutely. Yeah. And I also encourage people to go out and get arrested, uh, but I make it clear that I'm talking to other people like me. <laughs> My yeah. Privilege. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend that to someone who might uh, come out of it, the experience a, a lot less, uh, what sort I'm looking for, uh, undamaged. Yeah. I've actually had a coworker come to me and thank me for using my privilege so effectively. <laughs> yeah. She is, yeah. she is a black woman and she's like, "I am so glad you are here using your privilege to to stick up for the things that we need to stick up for." And I was like, mm. "Literally the least I could do." So, yeah. you're welcome, you know. Yeah. But and and people talk about that a lot like when we, when we talk about having privilege people like i get called self. i i've just in the last week been called self-hating i think you might have seen that i quoted i put a screen cap of that guy calling me a self-hating white guilt mm -hmm. <laughs> um but I, i'm not i'm not saying that i have privilege and therefore i'm bad or i did something or i'm guilty because i have privilege like it's i just don't want it to be a privilege i i i, I want to have these rights i just want other people to have them right. too. Bring yeah, everyone I up to my level, not really shed things. Yeah. I'm yeah. Aware I, that it's a privilege, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And not universal. And and fundamentally the, the privilege that we have is that um you know we get we get treated the way the system says we are supposed to get treated. Right. Like we're the know, default. 
we're we're the default and like mm -hmm. everybody else ought to get to be the default too right you know they, they get so hung up on this idea that we're saying it's bad that we have this and it's like no no we're saying it's bad that it's a privilege it's bad yeah. that you don't I, I remember arguing with these guys in a cigar shop which which i talk about in here me and johnny taylor our old friend michael o'connell uh, out of the cigar shop and he never told us that it was a cop hangout and that most of the people we were entertaining there because we would perform there right and i had no idea and we were there at the night of one of the riots i forget which one now there have been so many it was ferguson i remember the story okay yeah because yeah. it was and, when uh, johnny's album released right i think mine oh yeah. it was yours okay we were there like kind of watching to see what it would do on the itunes chart yeah. and stuff which was the tradition for him and i right We'd get together and and hang out somewhere um but i get into it with these guys and one of them was like you keep talking about our privilege but you look like you're well dressed and this that and the other and i was like oh no it's my i'm white too yeah i'm not i'm not standing here going you're privileged you're pri i'm saying we're privileged <laughs> like, yeah. do you notice the collective pronoun there we like motherfucker. don't just start talking about pronouns boy <laughs> yeah no, sorry sorry yeah english uh, teacher a, here sir, i forget possessive adjective thank you um yeah okay right yeah <laughs> um, um go ahead Ed. yeah well you know i i can i can kind of speak from from the other side of that there was there was a long time where i really did not like the phrase white privilege like mm. it it bugged me um and then and then i had i had a run in with with law enforcement it's a long story but um i didn't wind up getting arrested um i i did wind up handling it in a way that is very white yeah um because when they when when the police showed up um to to essentially ambush me long story <laughs> um i immediately started making myself as I, I treated it like i was i was facing off against a bear i made myself as big as possible got yeah. as loud as possible and was trying to get making it so there there would be lots of witnesses right mm -hmm. um and very very long story they they wanted to talk to me about a situation that involved my car which had been stolen and I didn't know a goddamn thing. Like I had no information to give to him. Yeah. Um, but like I realized after the fact that like if I didn't look the way I did, I'd have been shot full of holes. Yeah. And all of my assumptions about what I needed to do for my own safety in that situation was based on what i look like right if my life experience had been different that would not have been the way i approached it at all and that was and that that from that moment forward i was like you know what i i can't i can't in any any honesty at all argue against the idea of white privilege because i wouldn't be here to have the discussion about it and i, you know, I love the explanation that that I've seen kind of go memed around uh that it's it's not that you've had it easy it's not that you haven't had a hard life it's that your life wasn't made harder by the color of your skin right mm -hmm. yeah. yeah 
and you might not have economic privilege. You might be a poor white person, which mm -hmm. is hard, but not yeah. as hard as being a poor black person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. It's, there was all these, you know, there was a study done privilege and gender privilege and sexuality yeah. privilege. And... Yep. And then there's passing. <laughs> like there's, right. there's so many aspects. There was a study done of, um, they took, uh, black and white applicants applied for a job. Uh, some of them admitted to a felony. Others did not. Right. None of these people had felonies, but that's what they were acting. Uh, the white applicants got 34% callbacks. The black applicants got, I want to say 11% callbacks. Okay. Uh, then you do the felonies. White applicants got 17% callbacks. The black applicants got 6% callbacks. Yeah. Okay. A white felon got more callbacks than a black man without a felony. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. It was that kind yeah. of thing. Um, I, I remember, I mean, you know, since we're going around the table talking about, uh, when we figured out privilege stuff, uh, I, it was literally a, a, a drive back from Nevada city with you and me, uh, okay. from, from that show, uh, where, uh, you know, I, I, I hosted <laughs> so funny. Ed. He tells me he's like uh, going up there. Wrestler? Yeah, I was with wrestler. Um, I loved his thing on, uh, Los Gigantes. Um, but, uh, we're, we're going up there and Keith's like, all right. So one of the things when you host is once you say the person's name, you have to stop. So you don't <laughs> say their name at the beginning. You, you say their name only at the end, you introduce them, you give all the things I'm like, all right, cool. We you don't say Keith Jensen. He's very funny. You don't yeah. say Keith Jensen, give it up for him. Right. It's, it's everything. And then end on his name, you know? All right, cool. So I go up there and I'm, I'm hitting all my spots as best I can. And then I'm like, all right, you guys ready for your next comic? Da, da, da. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Keith Lowell Jensen. And he's just laughing his ass off at me. Because I was supposed to like give his credits and the shit that he'd done. And and he's laughing his ass off at me as he's coming up. And and he sees <laughs> that I see it. I'm just like, mother fuck. <laughs> it was so funny. But the whole reason right. maybe that advice was because it's a very common mistake. And for some reason, it's right. just hard for us not to. Yeah. To, so to backwards. So the one time, you know, that you know, he's giving me the advice. I, I immediately, you know, do the opposite. Blow it. Yeah. So on the way back though, it, it was that you pointed out that it was a relativistic thing, that privilege was relativistic, not absolute. And that's mm -hmm. when it clicked in for me. Um I wish it took less time than that. Uh, but that combined with Eric Garner's murder, uh yeah. that that's what did it for me. I was like, Oh, okay, fuck this. Um, and haven't looked back since. Well, I look back frequently, but like you get the idea. Yeah. So, but back to uh, your book, what, what made you, you said in a previous podcast of ours that this was the book that you wanted to lead with, right? Yeah, this, this would have been more like stories that I wanted to tell. So I, I did a thing where um, thinking about what I wanted to talk about as a comedian, and especially as I was becoming more and more of a storytelling comedian, mm -hmm. You want to find things that are universal, but I was also like, well, what's unusual? What do I have to talk about that other people might be interested in because it's unique to me? Right. And so I realized I'd had a lot of jobs. I was standing around at a, a big corporate meeting at Petco with all the other managers and assistant managers. And somehow the subject came up, where else have you worked? 
and we went around the circle and someone was like oh i worked at dollar tree and then here and someone else was like oh i worked at these two places and then here then they come to me and i was like well i worked at the, the golf course and then kfc and then i worked it for a video you were a sinatra song then blockbuster <laughs> video and then <laughs> and i'm up to like 11 and they're like okay stop <laughs> And I'm young still at this point. Sure. And so I realized that was unique. And I started putting together uh, uh, Not For Rehire, which was my first big storytelling show. And so um, at the time that, you know, they they asked me to write a book, like mm -hmm. I said, I submitted to them Not For Rehire in book form. Oh, and, that one. Okay. Uh, and, and they got rejected, but they wanted me to write the Punching Nazis book instead. Um and then I started working on arrest stories in the same way that I had just done stories of getting fired from jobs. I was like, well, I've been arrested more than a lot of people I know. Mm -hmm. I, I have other friends that have been in prison and uh, <laughs> had it a lot harder than me, but I've been arrested a lot for a guy who basically has never been a criminal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. My, my friends have been in prison earned it um but i've never been a criminal and uh somehow i just my big mouth <laughs> so you've so got working on those stories and and uh but also the pandemic hit and so i'm in the middle of working on this and then all of a sudden i can't perform so that made it even more attractive to put it on the page okay and, and then I came to this publisher through my friend Aaron Carnes, who wrote a really good book. Uh, oh, man, talk about history. You guys should have him on sometime to talk about Ska. Uh, he wrote a book called In Defense of Ska, where he wrote the whole long storied history of Ska music and, and why it's relevant and wonderful. Um, but, but that was published by, by these guys at Clash Books. And so he introduced me to them and, and this is where I belong. I love that I got to put a book out with a big publisher like Skyhorse Books, sure. uh, but that was such a mistake on that part. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a little indie book kind of guy. This is where I belong. And so I'm glad that I published this one with Clash and, and they're really awesome. It's just like a husband and wife run oh, neat. Uh, publisher out of New York. Very cool. Okay. So how long into your comedy career did you wait before approaching the book scene, uh, specifically this one? Hmm. And I mean you doing stand-up, not sketch stuff, not, you know, pun tournaments, which isn't even comedy, let's be real. Um, but, you know, Thank hardly you. art. Um, it's, it's right above puppetry, but right, but right below like talk radio and talk, you know, we do not radio. should talk puppetry, Damien. <laughs> Raise my ire. Didn't you hear me talking about Edgar Bergen the last time we podcasted yeah, together? Yeah. I, I love puppetry. He was the guy from uh, Murphy Brown. I remember. Oh, you son of a bitch. Um, it is so nice to hear somebody else having these reactions to him. Thank you. <laughs> I think that she actually wrote a book called Knock on Wood about her relationship with her little brother, Charlie, or her older brother, Charlie McCarthy. Really? Actually being jealous of her father's comedy partner at times. Mm. Wow. I knew of her before Murphy Brown because right. she was I, in Gandhi. Her father's. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Uh, anyway, where were we? Uh, wanted to know how how long into your comedy career you waited before. Uh, I don't know, fifteen to twenty years. Okay, really deep, really deep into it. Yeah, uh, 
How long have you been I doing comedy? Spoke, uh, close to 25 years. Wow. Okay. As I, as I spoke about when we uh, last spoke, um, CDs and DVDs were what I was producing as merch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the idea of books being good merch. One, I stumbled into a book deal. And right. two, uh, having something you can sell on the road makes a huge, I mean, you'll double your income. It's a really good idea. Really? It's that dramatic. Oh yeah. Well, so like you you get paid a hundred for a show, you make a hundred in books. Yeah, that sounds dramatic, but comedians don't get paid well. Right. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Here's yeah, something. Yeah. Here's something. I'm I'm becoming increasingly more willing to shoot myself in the foot uh, over this one. Okay. Uh, the time that us comedians start talking about it, pay hasn't gone up in 25 years. I've been doing gonna... 25 years, and an yeah. opener gets paid fifty dollars on average, and a feature gets paid a hundred dollars, and that that hasn't changed in 25 years is outlandish especially considering that gas in 25 years has gone from a buck oh nine to 509 and so that's on our expenses but then also on the money coming in look at what ticket prices have done yeah now they're 15 to 20 with a two drink minimum and yeah and those drinks right yeah that that was what i was going to say was look at how much more expensive the drinks have gotten in those places and our Mm -hmm. taste is the same yeah it's, it's criminal and we put up with it because um, we're happy to have it. That's crazy. <laughs> well, because, you know, I mean, otherwise, you, you give up show business? I mean, come on. Right. That, that's right? like the old joke about the, you know, the, <laughs> yeah, about the... development <laughs> shit. Well, why don't yeah. you quit? Well, show business? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, if we were getting paid according to inflation, I knew as the host. There. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> pulled up my inflation calculator. Um, if we were getting paid 25 years ago, we were getting paid 50. Uh, Inflation-wise, that comes out to about $95 now. And that's for openers. Right. Opener. Yeah. So, so that I'm... means the feature would be getting, you said they get 100 now. Um, the feature would be getting uh, literally double this, so about $200. Yeah. Yeah. And this is, um, it's hard work. Hosting is hard work. I remember right. the first time I featured leaving after my set mm-hmm. you know telling the headliner i'll watch your set right right tomorrow. <laughs> and then bouncing yeah but the fact that i get to perform and leave what a privilege because the host is stuck there all night and the host has to get the name in the right order i i <laughs> can tell you from experience <laughs> that shit's hard very difficult. <laughs> they have to go up again after the yeah. last guy so they can't even like turn off and just right. chill you know they're they're on call yeah the whole night and it's it's very exhausting and if it's a bad night you have to go up and kind of save the energy for the headliner right you know you got to reset the audience yeah yeah like that was one of the the nicest compliments i got actually was that i had to go do that for a comedian who's actually doing quite well now uh, okay in in the in the various scenes so i'm not going to name names but um he got really drunk and started staring at his phone and not when i was lighting him (laughs) <laughs> and so I had to go up and reset it and I come back off and, and our friend Johnny, uh, I, you were there too. Our friend Johnny's like, wow, nice job. Nice. Like, cool. All right. But that shit's hard. There's a guy in our, in our local scene named Ellis Rodriguez. Yeah. And, and Ellis can always hit it out of the park. Always. He's, he's a crowd pleaser. Yeah. And so when he would show up at Luna's, I used to tell people at Luna's, I book in advance. Don't yeah. show up and ask me for a set night of. And he was my exception because he would show up, can I get a set? And I was like, yeah, wait, wait till someone bombs. Right. He was always, because that's the thing. 
you can ruin the night but if you have someone like him for cleanup like okay this guy's tanking you're on (laughs) (laughs) raise the energy all right oh it was great i watched him in a 15 minute just sitting there saying it out loud session i just watched him develop a bit from literally nothing to a stage ready bit um on the n-word and which letter is most offensive and he goes into (laughs) it's you know everybody's mad at the hard r but then why do we just say it's the n-word like and then he starts looking at you know because ellis himself is panamanian and black if i recall correctly um and uh, he's a black panamanian yeah Uh um he 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 presents black uh audiences recognize him as such um but uh he he just starts and he just goes into things that start with n that black people love and then he starts with things with r that black people hate and so (laughs) he's like look we leave it off of this word even and you know and he just and it literally started from nothing yeah yeah and then it just like was like in 15 minutes i'm just sitting there going oh my god this is this is a master class this is cool yeah he's fun to watch he is so okay so you you start writing a book do do is book writing kind of a thing for comics is that is that the new paradigm or is this still as yet an untapped market i don't know i know that Moshe kasher Mm -hmm. wrote a book which is kasher in the rye it's fantastic uh, and I forget her name, uh, but Sarah Fowler or whatever from uh, Big Bang Theory. Okay. What's that actress's name? Anyone? Never Anyone? watched CBS. So I don't uh, she's one of the candidates for uh, hosting Jeopardy after Alex. Oh, okay. Wonderful. Oh, uh, Miam Bialik or whatever her name is? That's the one. Okay. So she just called out Moshe's book as one of her favorite um, oh. uh, memoirs of all time. Okay. And she used the phrase all cool. time. What's that? Oh, wow. She's very well read. And it, yeah. it he said it, it jumped him into the bestsellers list again. And uh, then he said, uh, watch for book related news next week. And I haven't checked back to see if his book related news came out yet or not. So he's doing very well. Comedian, you know, Seinfeld's always written books. Uh, mm-hmm. Bill Cosby wrote books. Um, George Carlin collected his bits into books. I Yeah, I feel like on our level, Mm-hmm. It, I wouldn't be surprised if it becomes the new merch to have on the table because, the, like I said, the CD DVD thing really did leave a hole. Right. And some comedians are trying to have vinyl, which is more collectible. So maybe right. buy it even if they're not necessarily going to play it a lot. Sure. Um, the vinyl is very difficult to transport, and I think it's very niche. I think this not yeah. not everyone is collecting records. Um. So I, I I'm so glad that I have the books and I can't wait to have more. That's I have a kid's cool. book. I have a kid's book coming out this year. Do you know? Yeah. It's called uh tiger torn. And uh, yeah, it's about a, about a tiger. Ooh. And who meets cool. rip torn, obviously. Yeah. Clearly. It's, about, it's about rip torn and his friendship with a tiger. Right. Yeah. A lot it's, of growling. I think this kid's book like rip torn, like rip torn. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> so. I love that somebody's name was rip torn. I mean, I know he wasn't born with that name, but it just makes me so happy. Right? Yeah. It's, yeah. Um, and and I'm going to sell the hell out of that because you, you go up and you do great. And then honestly, like, I feel like part of your merch is people like, I loved it. I want to take something home. Yeah, a memento. And and I want to give you more money. I, I just, I want to show my appreciation. 
Well, and also, I, I think a book does something different that a CD never did, because you've seen your friend's CDs, CD collections back in the day, right? And they were just huge walls, and it was the enormity of the CD collection that really sold it, not right. how you had it organized. You know, we're not all high fidelity. Um, and, and so it was the enormity of it. It was the way that you stored it. That was really cool. Uh, and then same thing with, um, albums on some level, it, those are a little bit more decorative, but like a book is your way of showing off to other people that you were at a thing where a special thing happened. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, yeah. That's a comedian that I saw pretty good and also he's got a book like it it just adds a depth to it you know um, i um I, I so disagree with you though on the cd collection i i judged people so harshly by how their cds were organized. you were an outlier you were yeah. absolutely an outlier like most know. people's cd collections were about like wow you sure have a lot yeah what do you want to listen to i don't know what do you have well that's the reggae section over there that's like 40 cds well just pick one like it was those <laughs> kinds of conversations that i would hear yeah. Um, but you know, then again, I don't actually care about music that much. You don't like so. music, I remember. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You didn't name your daughter after a song or anything. No. Yeah. So you you know this about Damien? He doesn't care for music. Oh yeah, no, we've we've talked about it a number yeah. of times. Yeah. Um, we've even done an episode of song covers that were better than their originals. I don't really care that much about music. So. Yeah. Yeah. Man, you know you know it's a hard one. Hmm devo's satisfaction oh, yeah is so good <laughs> the original one of my favorite pop songs ever written sure yeah so well yeah it's real but like for anyone to cover that and come close to the original and devo nails it in such a different way the problem i have with it is that it always recalls to me the um the scenes from casino when Joe Pesci's and uh, Robert De Niro's relationship is breaking down and they're no longer talking to each other. <laughs> they're in the same rooms in the casino and not talking to each other because Devo is playing in the background with I Can't Get oh, Enough Satisfaction. Funny. I've never made that association. And like Joe Pesci's beating the shit out of somebody. Um, and he's like on the decline of his power. And so it takes him like four punches to knock a guy out. <laughs> and like it, it just unfortunately that un that ruined the song for me in a lot of ways that's mm. yeah so okay so been this at the comedy very thing. adhd friendly podcast by the way quite so you're quite yeah following the oh, yeah. threads where they go well Dana has this amazing unique ability to have conversations with me where he can, we can go on whatever wild flights of fancy, and usually wherever we started is lost. And Damien's the only <laughs> person that then will go, okay. So as I was saying, <laughs> just continue exactly. Oh, 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 yeah, and and loop it right back to where you were. Yeah, and yeah. he's proud of it, and he thinks it's uh, something good. But it's like, no, I took us on that flight of fancy not just because I couldn't help it because I'm ADHD, but also I I was done talking about that. Thing. We're we're we're, I we're really good. don't want to hear the rest of your story about how you were cleaning erasers yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> a new way to really get the chalk out of them. <laughs> yeah uh how 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 many pages on uh, uh wrestling history oh, oh jesus God. if are we we could just go by episodes it's like more than 10 percent of our episodes yeah i know so, i know like like 
I, I, I wrote over 99 pages on the TV series V. Yeah. Oh. V. Yeah. So do you know that there's a, a stand-up comedy championship uh, wrestle, professor, re- professional wrestling thing? Like, oh, like the, the parallels? alone. Stand-up comics love wrestling. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've yeah. never yeah. met a group of people that more love wrestling. It's because we can identify with it. You're fighting for minutes. It's pretty much just you and your performance. Um, and like there's there's very little pay. Uh it's <laughs> a lot of time on the road and you live in a reality your, that doesn't exist. The the longer your career is, the more yeah. likely you are to be completely ruined by it. <laughs> yeah. you, know, <laughs> like, you know that Robin Tran is a huge wrestling fan? Oh yeah. She and I were like buddies about wrestling as she was transitioning, actually. Like we would keep talking about wrestling. In fact, it was SummerSlam that let her know that she was, in fact, transgender. What? Yes. What? I have not heard this story. Oh, yeah, because Daniel Bryan uh, didn't win. And, and she was talking to her therapist about how she was so mad that they just won't accept him for who he is. They want him to be something different. <laughs> And that broke her open into that. Like I'm, I'm absolutely painting with a broad brush and 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 saving time. But like That's it was essentially that. Wow. Yeah. I remember being on the road, and one of the rare nights where we actually got a hotel room. I mean, Johnny Taylor on tour are much more likely to sleep in our car or crash on a couch. And we're in a hotel room in Arizona somewhere, and I look over and see that Johnny's uh, phone is flashing on his face i realize he's watching something and i think maybe i'll catch him looking at some porn or something hey johnny what you watching and he turns it to me and it's like 20 year old wrestling highlights yeah. he's watching like <laughs> wrestling greatest hit at two in the morning oh well you know that, those quesadillas that i made him so famously um <laughs> he he would come over and we would watch old wrestling promos together. And I would be like, I'd be like, okay, now you see that one. Look at what this guy does as his promo. Do you see how it's echoing that? And it's actually, and these are just totally different federations. And, you know, da da da. Like we watched wrestling documentaries together that summer a lot. Like, so did was, you watch the one about, um, uh, uh, dang it, what's his name? The guy that everybody was so mad, the actor that they gave the belt to? Oh, Andy Kaufman? No. Oh, David Arquette. That's one. Did you watch his documentary? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was so much fun. Oh, boy. It was so. Come on. When he went down to Mexico and wrestled with the luchadors? No, it was more when he went against the guy who decided to go into business for himself and go super hardcore on him. Like. When he was in the backyard? No. Well, it was it was in a it it was kind of a backyard league, but it was in a building down in L.A. And I forget the guy. He, it wasn't Necro Butcher that he went against. It was some other guy. When the guy like, took a uh, a fluorescent light bulb, jabbed it into his forehead, and then a pizza cutter across his forehead, mm. and the the thing hit him in the neck and oh, popped right. him open. And they had to rush yeah. into the emergency room. I forgot about that. Oh, it's wild. It's so, a bit, even as I'm making fun of him, I'm totally feeding this. Yeah. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah. talking about wrestling by the way yeah, like yeah yeah, yeah. no it's it's yeah it's, Andy it's, Kaufman, this is my life Andy this Kaufman is my life one night a week yeah i'm yeah. from hollywood is the only wrestling documentary you really need that's uh, not true there's one called 350 days that is amazingly sad 
Um, but, I'm from Hollywood. Oh, great. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But uh, what was I going to say is um, there's a, a communications professor out in North Carolina. Um, actually, there's a communications professor up in uh, Washington now, too, who just did a, yeah. a seven-part Hulk Hogan series with us not too long ago. But there's a comms professor out in... Wait, wait, wait. Uh, on this podcast, you did a seven-part yeah. series on Hulk Hogan. Oh, yeah. 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 It should be it should be noted. Damien. So <laughs> Damien did a seven part series. Here's the deal. It's actually like as as a as a case study of like how Kayfabe fucks with literally everything. Mm-hmm. It's it's remarkably listenable. Like, yeah. 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 You, from from you hear seven part series about Hulk Hogan, and you're like, oh my God, what the fuck? <laughs> but but like I, I was literally like, okay, when are we, when are we picking this up again? To because I want to find out what happens next. Yeah. Like you know, yeah, because part of it is like how much shit Hulk Hogan has gotten away with. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. oh my god. So, what is your, what is your professional wrestling? What is your thing that you can have a great series on? <laughs> Damien, <laughs> Damien, you want to tell him? Sci-fi authors whose names start with H. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, okay, that too. Uh, uh, Warhammer 40k, yeah. Um, I'm trying yeah, to Tolkien, else. yeah, Tolkien, Tolkien. I could one. go forever about Tolkien, yeah. yeah. Yeah, see, I couldn't, I I wouldn't do it justice, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm no, Lord of the Rings, yeah, I could, I could spend way too much time, yeah, talking about actually fun. all of the yeah. above. The, the Warhammer 40, the funny thing is, I've only done a couple of episodes about Warhammer 40k, but it's it, slips in through the cracks every so often right i don't want to get in trouble but that's a video yeah. game right it's 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 a whole lot of things it, it's uh mostly a tabletop war game but it's turned okay. into a media kind of empire oh i didn't realize uh, it was a tabletop game yeah yeah it's a war game it's that, all kinds of fun yeah in the grim darkness of the far future there is only war and that's pretty much all you need to know so there's a game shop on Florin Boulevard. Yeah. And they have like a big Warhammer thing. In oh, there. yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I yeah. know because it's right by the Boba shop. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Okay. And I have to take my so. daughter for Boba fairly quickly. <laughs> it means booby, you know. Means what? Booby. You mean really? like, like old grandmother? I should verify this before I repeat it. But yeah. hell, I'll just go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Supposedly, bubble tea, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, when it reached Japan, was marketed by a voluptuous woman who was uh, very breasty. Okay. And it was called boba tea, which would be the equivalent of us calling it booby tea. Okay. Because of its association with her. Okay. And right. when it got to America, that caught on. <laughs> As, as right. it would, yeah. Because yeah. boba doesn't, we don't associate boba with breasts, but it's still a fun word to say. Yeah, it boba is. Tea. Boba. So, it's yeah. one of those things where if you came here from Japan, you would be like, well, really? They just openly call it booby tea? <laughs> children? It's like going to Clit Hero in England. Yeah. Or uh, yeah. Schlitz. I had a friend visiting from Germany and he's like, you can't call a beer Schlitz. And I was like, it's a German name, isn't it? He's like, it means something nasty. 
And I was like, what does it mean? And he's like, I won't say it in front of Brenna. <laughs> he wouldn't say it in front of my wife. Oh, that's great. So she, she like stepped away a little bit and he goes, it is a part of a woman. Wait, what? Okay, I'm looking this up. Hold that's on. That's like the author, Dean, oh, Dean Vaginas. Okay. Um, yeah. Same thing. There's an author, wait, what now? There's an, an author. I'm not going to say his name, but it's like Dean, basically Vaginas. Um, oh, but, yeah. Yeah, he's a. a I forget what he writes, name? but yeah. Ed knows, yeah. right? Yeah. Let's yeah. say his name. A O O N T S. Koontz. Oh, Koontz. Yeah. Yeah, Koontz. Like Art Koontz. Yeah. 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 That's just gross. No. <laughs> Doesn't Koontz just mean art in German? That's Koontz. Don't, yeah. Don't yeah. know my German. Yeah. So, all right. So, uh, as Come on, bring as, us back, Damien. As an author and as a comic. Um, and you said earlier that you you had written this while you were designing it as a special. Um, do you find that there's an overlap in the efforts for specials and books? Like, have you been able to transfer that skill set over? Because I know you have a number of specials out that people could probably stream. Um, but um please do go watch for free right now on mm -hmm. YouTube. You can watch what I was arrested for and not for rehire. Okay. They're both so, on the hundred pound gorillas YouTube channel. Building building a, a special. Did you find that there were a lot of skills that transferred over to writing a book? Yes. I find that I really like the back and forth. I I take the stories and put down all the details mm -hmm. by writing them out long. And then I have to do a much more abridged, short version of it on stage, but I find jokes. And then I'll go back and add those jokes to the book. So in the book, you kind of get the best of both worlds because you will get, I, I will try to put the jokes into the book, but I won't try to put all the heavy details into the stand-up. Right. But uh, like someone asked me, they bought the book from me at the end of a show and they said should i watch the special first or read the book first and i said watch the special first these jokes rely on the element of surprise to be funny right and so it'll blow up for you if you read it first but then sure. when you read it you'll get the gory details and, and the jokes are secondary gotcha. uh, but yeah i really like the back and forth it's not even like i i write it and then i make a stand-up thing out of it or do a stand-up mm -hmm. thing out of it and then write it. it it literally is i do one and then i do the other and then i mm -hmm. revise the original and it's, it's it's a neat process and i'm i'm a big marx brothers fan mm -hmm. and i loved the marx brothers would you know they, they usually didn't write their own script they would work with a script writer um and then they would take it on the road mm. and so like duck soup and and horse, horse Feather, feathers yeah. the best stuff was toured all around vaudeville right and there's a story about uh, Kaufman being backstage doing his little walk. Groucho was impersonating him when he did his little tilted over walk. Mm -hmm. Kaufman marching back and forth backstage while they're performing. And then he shoots upright and someone says, what? And he goes, they just said one of the lines I wrote. Because it was that rare for them to actually use something from the script. <laughs> <laughs> they were such maniacs. But I... I think that that's such a great process for a writer to mm -hmm. 
And you were talking earlier about Ellis writing a bit on mm-hmm. stage. When you're on stage, there's this sink or swim panic that taps into a part of your brain that's really hard to tap into. Otherwise, I can right. sit and work on a joke forever at my desk mm-hmm. and just get stuck and not know the right way to word it. And then I get on stage and my brain's in a panic and I need to get that laugh. My brain to go blah, 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 and just spit it out. And I'm like, oh, that's it. Right. I was never going to get that sitting at my desk. I, I was never going to find that, you know. I, Is that a function of adrenaline? Oh, yeah. Okay. My friend, uh, Tapon Trevetti, uh, who's another Sacramento comedian, he always wanted to put a bunch of monitors on someone and then have them go up and do stand-up to see what happened to us physically. Because he noticed that we could be really sick, have a horrible cold, not be able to function, and then get up and do a stand-up set and you wouldn't know it. And then come off stage and collapse again. Right. (laughs) You know? Um, I remember working for Spike and Mike and having a migraine so bad that I climbed under a bench in the lobby and put my jacket over my head. And then Spike came to me and said, hey, it's time to go up. Are you going to be okay? And I said, yeah. And I went up and I did great. And I didn't have a headache for the 10 minutes that I was up. But then I came back down and crawled back under the bench because I was back to having a migraine. So I don't know what physically happens to us, like how much the adrenaline gets surging or what weird fears that that wonderful roller coaster kind of fear right you know? um but there's something that definitely you know like i said and, and that like fear of failure will make your brain just kick into its fire sure. instincts and just work really fast how about this <laughs> See right that? right i love when i have a joke that i've been performing for you know years and i've gotten bored with it maybe i've even recorded it already and then one night i tell it and my mouth says something totally new that I've never said before. And I'm like, where the fuck did that come from? That's just the most satisfying thing, you know? Yeah. Just like, Holy shit, I've been working on this for years. And tonight, for some reason tonight, this new thing just came out, you know? Yeah, it, now it's crystallized. Like, got that new facet and it finally, like, all hangs together. Yeah. That's cool. Some people complain when a when a comedian does material on an album or a special that they've done on a previous album or special. Mm-hmm. I love it because almost always they're doing it again because they tweaked something. Oh, okay. And like Patton Oswalt does that. I'll see mm-hmm. him. There's a, and he doesn't do it a lot, but there's a couple of jokes that you'll hear him repeat an album later, and it's changed. He tweaked it. He put it in a new context. He has a new framework for it. And, uh, okay. I mean, I love to see that development. How much research do you put into your uh, into your books? I mean, obviously, well, that's a dumb question because you lived the, the the experience of this most recent one. Um, but like, do you spend much time doing research? Yeah. So the the punching Nazis one, I had to do a lot of research, mm-hmm. and the research was actually really fun. You know, I yeah. found out the story about the uh, Walter uh, Winchell, Walter Winchell, and and Murray Lane. The gangster, the Jewish Meyer Meyer Lansky. Meyer Lansky. Yeah. Meyer Lansky, a Jewish gangster who went and beat the shit out of Nazis. Threw him out a window. And and an old judge was tipping him off on where he could find them under the understanding that he wouldn't kill. Like only only beat the shit out of them, don't kill them. (laughs) And I'll keep feeding you info on where to find them. And then Winchell going on the radio and and basically praising it. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, you know, tonight the German and American with a bund, bund, yeah, the bund, yeah, German American, like a better at the cake. Uh, 
but yeah the the german-american bund getting their asses kicked getting thrown out the window the scene of a bunch of jewish gangsters up and down a hallway Mm -hmm. these nazis with no other way to get out of the building except to run down that hallway with jewish gangsters just nailing them (laughs) why isn't that in a movie you know why is there a movie Meyer Lansky beating up Nazis. I That's would watch that movie twice. They, I mean, they did the, uh, the an American story with uh, De Niro and and James Woods as Bugsy Siegel and uh, and his friend. Nowhere near uh, as as compelling as what yeah. you just mentioned. Yeah. Except for the salt things. That that was pretty cool. So I don't think I've ever seen that one. I'll have to go fix that. Watch the not director's cut because that way you only have to spend three hours. <laughs> it's, it's a good film it's well done yeah. um there's some really uncomfortable parts of it but it's it's very well done and who did but, you say it is uh it's it's bugsy siegel no no who's the, the filmmaker oh the maker i don't remember the the uh it's, it's the, the uh, spaghetti westerns guy isn't it is it i think it's a guy the guy who uh, fistful of dollars and Might sergio be. leone i don't know mm-hmm. all right We'll anyway, but if you just look up James Woods gangster movie, you'll find it. So, so back to your your question. Yeah. Um, yeah, like on what I was arrested for, I didn't do a whole lot of research. I didn't. I, I just tried to delve into my stories, and and then one was fun where it really was. I was like, um, I want to tell stories. I want mm-hmm. at the heart of this book, I want it to be stories. Punching Nazis and other good ideas had some stories in it. It had some rants in it. It had some interviews in it. This one is just pure. I'm just telling stories. I didn't have to do a ton of research, but now I'm writing uh, ADHD AF. And mm-hmm. I, it, it's funny that you should ask me that today because it was literally just last night that it occurred to me that I could write about the history of ADHD. Mm-hmm and put some research into it beyond my personal experience with it. I know that they didn't call it ADHD when I was diagnosed. Right. It's called it hyperactivity disorder. Right. Um, You know, I know that uh, I was, they started, I think they started diagnosing Ritalin as early as the Mm fifties, but I was the first generation where it was starting to become fairly commonplace. Hmm. Um, And it was only Ritalin. They, they have so many right other, right you know? yeah so you know and so the first thing i do with it is is delve into the personal stuff which is kind of a research in a way because i spend oh, yes. a lot of time even though i joke that i write autobiographical fan fiction because i'm much more concerned with the story than the truth sure. <laughs> <laughs> i do spend a lot of time trying to get my memories in order and trying to remember correctly what happened i'm doing a joke about it now where i'm talking about people that are diagnosed adhd as adults Mm-hmm. We're not the same. <laughs> I was like <laughs> in third grade. I'm like, if you reached adulthood before they tried to give you a pill, you might just be annoying. I'm not trying to put down what we have in common or whatever, but uh, I do feel like they should say child diagnosed ADHD or adult diagnosed ADHD. If your siblings never chopped up your medication and sold it to their friends, uh, we're not in the same club. And I'm so nervous about that joke because it's true. And I don't know what the statute of limitations on it is. My brothers never got caught. And if my parents hear me tell that joke, they will not be happy. <laughs> Use the word cousins. Like then then it's fictional people. So yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Um, pretty smart, they'll know. <laughs> oh, you're worried about your parents more so than 
worried I'm worried about, about my parents getting mad at my brothers because my brothers okay. in fact chop up my Ritalin wow. and sell it as speed. Now, what's funny is nowadays they could just sell it as Ritalin. Hey, want to buy some right. Ritalin? Hell right. yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. There's all kinds of mathletes getting uh, yeah. Adderall. Getting, right? yeah. yeah. No, they just chopped it up and sold it as speed and their friends came back for more because it worked. Yeah. And you know what gave them the idea? Oh. I I fought with my dad. I didn't want to take it, which is why it was available for my brothers to chop up. Huh? And my dad says, you are hyperactive. He thought that my reason for not wanting to take it is that I thought I wasn't hyperactive. Which mm. was, was never the issue. I was like, oh, obviously I'm hyperactive. <laughs> <laughs> and I almost think like I didn't want to not be hyperactive. Like I worried it was going to take something that was uniquely me away from me. Sure. Know? Yeah. Uh, well, because you're one of five brothers. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. Identity is such a big thing. Yeah. So, but my dad says in front of my brothers, if you weren't hyperactive, this would be like speed for you. You would take this oh, wow. and like speed, but because you're hyperactive, you take it and you it focuses you. And that's what proves that you really are hyperactive. And my brother's here. What's that now? <laughs> Wait a minute. It would be like speed, business opportunity, business much. Speed. Right. <laughs> yeah, people will trade money services. <laughs> so, do you, uh, as we wind this down, do you envision a time where you will stop comedy or uh, book writing, and which one first? Because I mean, on some level, like I, I know you. You've opened for Wu Tang Clan. Um, you, <laughs> you've been on the History Channel. You've you've done cool shit, but a lot of that will be stuff that will be lost to the sands of time in some way. Your books are going to be in the Library of Congress, the largest library in the world, um, <laughs> by virtue of the fact that they are published books. Um, that's got to be pretty cool because that means like it's it's in the same category as Poor Richard's Almanac from the 1700s. Um, <laughs> Never mind quality, just like in general, and you know, and and I don't mean that in in any kind of a slight either. Just you're right in there with. Actually, my first ex wife also has published a couple of books, which is just, that'll be an off screen thing. First um, ex wife, um, yeah. but uh, I've heard that. Um, but uh, like you've got something that like three generations from now you'll have, you know, a a a great great nephew who never met you. Well, like pick it up and be like, oh shit, I know that's my my grandpa's brother, you know, that kind of thing. Like, is there is there one that you're favoring more than the other? Uh, do you is there one that you're valuing more? Is there one that you're seeing more longevity in? Like, I know so, there's a lot of questions in there, so just yeah, it's and it's a wonderfully complicated subject because yeah. there's the thing that I think I'm better at. Uh huh. If I'm really honest with myself and with you, mm -hmm. I'm. I'm, you could call it arrogance or confidence. I believe that I am uniquely gifted at, at storytelling on stage. Mm -hmm. I think okay. that I'm a, a decent writer, mm -hmm. but I plan to be a really good writer. I'm still figuring out the book writing thing. And mm -hmm. I'm the kind of person that can only figure something out by doing it, not by doing it in private. Gotcha. I can write something and edit it a hundred times. And the mm -hmm. minute I share it with you and I know your eyes are looking at it, I can go edit it effectively. Mm. Uh, okay. 
about my psychology. I can't edit it effectively until I know someone else is looking at it. And then my brain kicks in the high gear and I actually see the mistakes and I can clean it up, which is why I'll share things with people that are a mess. And you're like, oh my God, how could you share this? But I, I had to. to clean right, it. right. Yeah. Um, it, again, it's that adrenaline spike. You've got someone yeah. watching you. And and I, I want to always be proud of what I did in this book, mm-hmm. but my next one will be way, way better. Even like sure. to give you a specific example in, in both punching nazis and in what i was arrested for there's this opening chapter where i kind of explain and i feel like almost apologize for why i'm writing the book right and that's not that's a mistake i won't make again adhd af i'm going straight into the stories i'm going okay. straight i'm dropping you right off in keith world you know okay. um, but that's that's one little boost of confidence from book two to book three i will get better at writing mm-hmm. But right now, I'm a really, really good stand-up storyteller. I'm I'm an okay writer who's going to get better. So this one, the, the, the writing books is really important to me because I'm going to get better at it and because I want to get better at it. And, and I do have that sense of it being something that might have a longer shelf life. Sure. Um, but the stand-up is something that I'm so proud of. I was on a mind dog podcast radio show recently where he uh uh compared me to spalding gray and i'm not saying that i agree or whatever but spalding gray is someone that as a storyteller i have so much uh i'm sometimes in awe of and i was very flattered it would be like if i was being compared to david sidaris you know yeah and I, I've never gotten praise for my books like that. <laughs> you know? So I have a, there's a school teacher who's actually printed out quotes of things I've said on stage and displays them in his classroom. Oh, that's cool. That, it's you. And, I know. Uh, I was, I was keeping, yeah. no, I know that you. you know, I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was kayfabing for you. I was going to ask Thank you all you. kinds of fun questions in, about that. But in, in, in all sense, I have to edit this. Damien, as a high school dropout, who did not get along well with school that is the most flattering freaking thing in the world and you know the only thing that's that's equally as flattering is that uc davis pays me to come talk to their students once a semester um for a high school dropout to have a university invite him to come speak to their students who are paying to be there that's a huge ego boost and that feels really good that makes me very confident in that thing that i do and yeah. I have, if, if anyone wonders where my whether you call it confidence or arrogance comes from it comes from things like that people are like you're not exactly selling out arenas and it's like no but i am getting some pretty awesome accolades <laughs> you know? yeah so uh well, and that gets into kind of the toxicity of of the comedy world too is like your value as a performer is I mean, it is literally measurable in dollars and cents. And at the same time, you're doing art. And to commodify it to that level. Who's our Velvet Underground? You know, in in Mm -hmm. music, you've got your Jonathan Richmonds and your Velvet Underground and your people who maybe never had huge commercial success in their own time, but it's understood that they were important. Mm -hmm. And we respect them. Right. Yeah. I feel like there's room for that in stand-up as well for kind of an indie scene. Sure. People that are respected or someone that's a comedian's comedian. Right. 
book by Phil Berger called The Last Laugh. It's one of my favorite books about comedy. But one of the things I like about it is that as he did research, he found comedians that were important to comedians, even mm-hmm. though they never recorded and are, would otherwise, if, if he hadn't found their stories and put them in his book, would have been totally forgotten. That's true about wrestling, too. Like, there yeah. are your favorite wrestlers, favorite wrestler. Yeah. Never like like Stone Cold Steve Austin will speak up and down about Bobby Eaton. Okay. Now, if you're me, you know who Bobby B- Bobby Eaton is. I feel like know? I know his name, but probably from you or Johnny. Right. You know, if, um, if you're if you're me, you yeah. remember the name Bobby Eaton because I've heard it from you. Right. <laughs> you know, or you know, there's there's so many people where it's just like, oh man, that guy had the lightest touch. Oh, you, it felt like he was stomping a grape. Uh, but it looked like he was stomping right through you, you know, and stuff like that. And like these incredibly successful wrestlers will be like, you know, the guy that you're really amazing, like mocking Singh, man, he was just, and, and like you have to do some deep dives and then you realize, Oh, that was Booger Bastion. And nobody knows who the fuck that was, you know? And it's like, Oh, you know, it, and, and it's the same kind of thing, like a wrestler's wrestler, you know? So, uh, and now I'm just following this on a tangent, but I, I was watching a documentary on hip hop and they went and talked to Ice-T and they mm-hmm. were like, no one did what you did before you did it. He goes, oh no, Schooly D. <laughs> yeah. Like immediately he went, no, no, yeah. someone did. I'm, yeah, the guy from Philadelphia just, that Ice-T was basically, yeah, cribbing his, cribbing his and, stuff. And I love that. Yeah. And, and I still had confidence in, enough in what he did and how well he did it that he was totally okay with. No, no, I'm going to share the spotlight on this guy that inspired me. Absolutely, yeah. We did the the history of hip hop uh, on this podcast with uh, a, a teacher from Southern California who teaches a history of hip hop class. Oh wow! Oh, it's great. I'll go back um, and listen. Yeah, to yeah now definitely. We've got a dozen. Yeah, episodes. definitely do. It's amazing. There you go. Now we have. I'm, I'm not going to listen to the seven part wrestling one if you put no, together, if you put together there's, a 20 minute highlights reel. I would love there's a there's a there's a five part wrestling one if you want, no, and I have I'm a four part. I have two four part wrestling ones. Oh one compares God. John Cena to Pope uh, Francis. I um, like John Cena. That's. I, and yeah. is that common that people who aren't big wrestling fans, he's like a crossover. We like him. Yeah. He is he is a less successful, let less giant star version of the rock. Yeah. Yeah. So and and without putting down the rock at all, I think he's great. But John Cena has this like progressive value to quality him. to him that that uh, the Rock may as well. I don't know, but Zena wears it a little more on his sleeve, and I appreciate yeah. it. Rock puts yeah. it up with money uh, behind some scenes and supports awesome. a lot of art. Uh, John Thanks. Cena has literally more Make a Wish grants than anyone else. He's more than yeah. double yeah. the next person. So yeah. So okay. Um, you know, you want to be the Velvet Underground to comedy. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> uh, yeah, I want to be unsuccessful and then get right. discovered later and be bitter about it. I like it. <laughs> That's my plan. Um, you know what? I'll tell you what. Even when I was in the band, just mm-hmm. as a performer of any type, I have always said that I'm going to be a distance runner. Um, that I'm going to get really good at whatever I do by refusing to stop doing it, and I'm just going to keep working on it. And you know, I'll quit comedy if I feel like I'm not improving. Okay. If, if i'm not finding new things to do with it and, and getting better at it but i still feel 
Like, I feel like what I was arrested for is the best thing I've done yet. Um, and you've so said that about bad comedy for bad people when you had done that. Right. And I hope yeah. I keep feeling that way about yeah. whatever my new project is. No steps backward, kind of just keep. Yeah, well, and that's that's more for the art than it is for the, I mean, obviously you got to pay the mortgage, but like that is much more for, that's your satisfaction as an artist more than it is putting food on the table in terms I, of. I was talking to a comedian who I won't name because he's a scumbag, but okay. we are talking about commerce and he said, Keith, why don't you do this stuff independently? You can make so much more money. He's like, I, I you sell a hundred albums to make as much money as I make selling 10 because mm. I do it all myself. And like, cause I don't want it. I want right. to make comedy and have a record label that knows how to sell a record. Sure. And for three of my albums, I was with a record label that didn't know how to sell a record, but I'm with a record label now who they're really smart. They know how to go find where the money is. Even as that, there's this huge behind the scenes lawsuit happening right now where all of us comedians who were making money off of satellite radio, right. which is that's where the money was. It wasn't people bitch about, okay, public service announcement. If sure. your musician or comedian friend talks about how many Spotify listens they got or how many Pandora listens they got and they're proud of it, just fucking congratulate them. It's not the time for you to say, oh, yeah, would that make you five cents? Yes, they underpay us and it sucks. Mm-hmm. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know? Okay, fair. Dick yeah. comment to make when I'm going like, dude, this is so dope that 10 million times I was played on Pandora. That 10 million is not a number I ever thought I'd say. You know, that's right. cool. Yeah. Right. Was yeah. I underpaid for it? Oh, totally. And it yeah. sucks. But right now, I just want to celebrate that I hit 10 million. That's cool. Yeah. And anyway, I got off on a tangent. What I'm trying to say is that what all those people don't know is that satellite radio is actually paying us really well. And it's it bought me this house. Like I'm literally living in a house I wouldn't be in if it wasn't for satellite radio. And that money's gone. It just dried up because of this weird lawsuit that's happening. And when the lawsuit settles, hopefully that money comes back again. I hope so. Yeah, yeah. well. It, it hurts. But I'm with a record label that immediately switched gears and was like, okay, I guess we go to YouTube now. And we try to make as much money as we can off of YouTube. And it's way less money. But they're still going and finding a way to make the money. And I, and I don't want to do that. Right. If that's your hustle and you're good at that stuff, and it, cool. Like I'm not judging anyone that that is their thing. Um, but I just want to make the best comedy I make, and then trust someone else to handle the business part of it. You know, because that that would just give me a headache. Yeah. No, I get that. I mean, there's yeah. there's there's a reason I'm not a principal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wanted. I just want to teach. Leave me alone. And you hear what people that are like, you know, oh, that's as far as he wanted to go. Like, mm-hmm. no, it's a, that was the job he wanted to do. What you see as the next step up is actually a step into a different job. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah, you didn't want to be a principal. You wanted to be a teacher. Exactly. It's not I'm it, it's not a leveling up thing. Like when yeah. when I hit my my goal was this cool for yeah. people who want to climb over that right. but my goal was this you know and i'll yeah. tell you something man when you and i went to coffee and we yep. ran into ex-students of yours mm-hmm. and they were so excited to see you that's and true they hugged you and they, when students of yours have come out to see you do comedy yeah like i told you i've only had a couple of good teachers and i meant mm-hmm. that 
but those good ones I had were so important. One of them, Sherry, I write about in my book in, in Punching Nazis, and I'm still friends with her to this day. Um, she had a huge impact on my life. Obviously, you were that teacher to those kids. The way they lit up on seeing you at the coffee shop, they were like, oh, my God, it's Mr. Harmony. Well, thanks. <laughs> I, like, oh, yeah. we just call him shithead. Yeah. <laughs> we call him get my bags. Um, <laughs> we call him you say my name last okay? <laughs> and nothing else after my name <laughs> and don't do material between comics unless we ask you to right okay? right <laughs> you know have you worked with connor Kellicutt? he might have moved before you came on the scene no but the name is very familiar very very funny guy but he was you know a local headliner like mm-hmm. a list feature uh a room feature b room headliner right and my first time ever hosting at the punchline which is a big come up you know that's uh, uh, an important milestone in in local comedy i'm hosting the sunday night showcase at the punchline and they were like okay connor's headlining go ask how he wants to be introduced so i walk up and this guy is sitting with his legs apart huge rip in his pants i can see his red boxes showing through and i go hey man how do you want to be introduced and he goes my name's connor kellicott and I was like, okay. He's like, that's how I want to be introduced. I was like, okay. And he goes, one more thing. And I go, what? And he goes, don't do fucking material in between. And I go, I wasn't planning on it. He goes, good. And I was like, what a dick. <laughs> I go up and I introduce him. He goes up and he murders. So funny. He comes off stage and I go, hey, that was really good. That was funny. And he goes, the funniest part was before I went up on being a dick to you. <laughs> You fucking... <laughs> he was just fucking with me <laughs> oh, <that's awesome. laughs> and that's like hazing right that's like our version of yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. it sounds like so. yeah cool well uh drawing this to a close um no, why no. Don't you, you yeah. know about keeping me up after 10 right well that's fine we can stop recording and you and i can keep talking no no this oh. is <laughs> this is going to be a marathon episode uh-huh. <laughs> called keith in his weird headspace that he gets <laughs> someone keeps him up after 10 at night <laughs> no we can wrap it up i'm sorry okay, yeah. go um, ahead mr yeah Hermie. yeah so i was just gonna say uh plug the books that you want to plug plug the specials you want to plug um let let folks know where they can find you and and yeah and buy Please your shit go go watch what i was arrested for and then if you if you like it, get the book, What I Was Arrested For. But right now, you can just go watch it on YouTube for free. Very little commitment. Look up Keith Lowell Jensen, What I Was Arrested For. And if you don't want to watch it with commercials, because YouTube puts commercials on it, you can go to 800 Pound Gorilla Records and buy it. It's, it's cheap. I might even still be at, like, pay what you want. Yeah, you know, and the holidays are coming. And stocking stuffers. Well, there's yeah. not, you're not trying. a physical copy of it, so I don't know what you put in stocking. Well, you put like the, the, the QR code, just yeah. slip it in there, you know. Mm-hmm. What people like uh, during holidays is to have to do more work. Um, or you could put it up on your phone at Thanksgiving when you're sitting next to that there one uncle. Um, so. uh, and then I have older there stuff. There you go. I still think uh, Cats Made of Rabbits holds up. There's some really good stuff on there you can watch. Don't you have Elf Quest as well? No, uh, Elf Orgy. Elf Orgy. With original cover art done by Wendy Penning of ElfQuest. Uh, because I shared with her and hus- her husband the story of when I masturbated to their comic. 
No. You see Ed's eyes perked up until that moment, and then he almost threw up in his mouth. Uh, you, Ed, you know about West episode 17, right? With no. The, no. Oh, episode uh, no. issue 17, my friend. It is okay. Beautiful. Yeah. And I didn't have a lock on my door, and my dad used to come in my room to play my Nintendo. It was yeah. Adam, I need to go after Elves here. <laughs> so that's um, my least. My the the incompetent record label owner hates that I say this, but I'm sorry. I'm honest. It's my least favorite of my specials. It's <laughs> my material, but it was just not a good night. Uh, yeah, so. and that happens. <laughs> well, cool. Um, I know Ed's going to turn into a pumpkin soon, so. Shortly, uh, yeah. Keith, it was a joy to have you on. Uh, Why I, it took so long? Oh, oh, no! It's a good episode, good length. Oh, you mean no. since we started the podcast? Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Beyond it all, yeah. yeah. Well, I you just... wanted to make sure that we were reliable, and and having us put out no, two hundred forty episodes. We have gigs on Saturday. Yeah, also, <laughs> that there's so. yeah, that's probably <laughs> yeah, probably so. a thing. Yeah, but if oh, this ever makes it on Friday and Saturday nights, yeah. <laughs> no one's ever doing anything then, right? Right, genius. We're name. not. Well, I mean, we're not. I mean, yeah. you know. Well, I would have Damien open for me, but he could never figure out that. Say my name last. <laughs> yeah, well, there's there's, there's that. <laughs> so, um, well, I will say this, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that has been Keith Lowell Jensen, uh, and we are a geek history of time. And for a geek history of time, I'm Damien Harmony. And I'm Ed Blaylock. And until next time, keep rolling 20s.